0: The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from PKA Podcast joins me to discuss the music of Pokémon Ranger Guardian Signs for the DS. This final entry in the trilogy may not change the Ranger formula drastically, but it does come with a wide array of new tunes. As usual, there's a game discussion after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PKA Podcast. And in our continuing series of Pokémon side game music discussions, we've reached Pokémon Ranger Guardian Signs, the third and final game in that sub-series. So, regardless of where, which region you are in, it was released in 2010. Um, let's see, in Japan, it was released in March In North America, it was released in October, and in Europe, it was released in November. So pretty close spacing for those last two. It was produced by Creatures, Inc., just like the other two Ranger games. Now, as far as the initial experience, I don't know if I bought this for myself. I think I did. I'm pretty sure I did buy it for myself when it came out. And I think I had a pretty good time with it. It is not as revolutionary to the sub-series as Guardian Signs the middle game was, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Now, Anne, since you only played originally some of the first Pokemon Ranger game and you had to like get a used copy of the second one, I assume it was the same deal for this one?
1: Yeah, I basically traded in the old one for <laughs> the new one. Um, but I was able to play this one a little bit in person, and hopefully we'll be able to finish um, when I'm not playing Scarlet and Violet, so.
0: Yes, we recorded this on the same weekend that Scarlet and Violet came out, uh, which we will have some, it'll it'll come up in this discussion, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) And uh, I guess there is one other way to get all three of the Ranger games, at least when we recorded this, it's, I forget what rigmarole you have to go through, but when we record this, I think it is still possible to get stuff off the Wii U eShop where all three of these games are located, um, By the time this comes out on the podcast feed, it may well be impossible. Hopefully someday the, there's a Switch DS virtual console or something like that that makes these a little more accessible. But going on to the actual music part of it, uh, as far as the folks behind it, there's one returning person. The sound director is Takuto Kitsuda, who worked on, let's see, the um abandoned N64 version of Mother 3. Some e-card stuff. Hart gold, Soul, silver, he's got a credit. And the Detective Pikachu game. So he's back. Uh, and I don't suppose you learned anything new about him in the interim.
1: No. Unfortunately, no. Yeah,
0: It's only been a couple months since our uh, Shadows of Almia discussion. Um, so not a huge surprise there. But there are three new people on here as far as like the actual composers of the music on this. So let's see. There's Ken Ichi... Koyano, and um, let's see, his other credits, I think it's a he, uh, include Poke Park, Inuyasha Feudal Combat, and Bloody Roar. Um, I'm not too familiar with Bloody Roar, but I definitely have heard the name of that series. And did you get anything else on, on that guy?
1: Yeah, um it doesn't look like this company worked um necessarily with Pokemon, but it, it sounds like uh Kenichi uh worked with Base Escape a lot. Um Base Escape International, which is an independent um music and sound production company created by Hitoshi Sakimoto and um through that company has gotten to do like a wide variety of things between like commercials, Final Fantasy, like I think what was it that vampire yell or whatever the roar game or so he's like a lot of his disparate credits uh seem to come from working with this company and then like possibly also freelancing on his own it's a little strange to piece together his bibliography just because not bibliography um his work cv just because um he does work with so many different like freelancing style things um so you'll see one bio that only has some of these credits and another that only has a few of the others. But it seems that the most consistent thing is that he does work with base escape and therefore has his fingers in a lot of projects.
0: All right. Well, there's two other new names. One of those, it's just credited in the uh, credits of the game as Sigero S-I-G-E-R-O, but it appears to be short for Sigero Yoshida, and the only other credits for that person I could find are Poké Park. That um, there's the two Poké Park games and Rio. No, not that uh, CGI movie. Uh, this appears to be an animated series or an anime series called Rio. Um, and anything you were able to dig up on that one?
1: No, not not much. And I think it's kind of going to be the same for uh, Oka Is that it? I get the impression that a lot of their work is, like, on commercials and stuff, which can be a lot harder to track down specific credits. Um, but, yeah, there's, it's hard to confirm a lot of um, video games and anime that this guy has worked on.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Kisuke. I, I probably messed that up horribly. Sorry. The one credit I found for that person is what? Uh, Izuna, Legend of the Unemployed Ninja. Is is kind of interesting there. But unfortunately, it sounds like, yeah, these last two in particular, like they've certainly done other musical work, but don't have as much of a paper trail, I guess.
1: Yeah, whatever they're doing uh, for their career is, is far less in the public eye or at least far less um, likely to be put up and compiled on an internet fan page or a bio. So we can only assume they're working, but on what? Who knows?
0: Okay, well, then let's sort of talk about the general style of the music in this game. It, it, to a certain extent, does follow uh, from the previous two entries in the sub-series in terms of, like, I think it has more or less the same instrumentation. But I would definitely say, and and this is probably a result of um, the, the new folks who are brought in, it has somewhat of a different direction, I guess is kind of the best way I can put it. Like the instruments are pretty similar in terms of sound and stuff, but they are used differently in part due to sort of the differences in gameplay and stuff like that. Does that make sense, Anne? Or do you have a different take?
1: Absolutely. Like that similar sound, but yet kind of just a fresh new life to it. Like the instruments sound the same, but the soundtrack just sounds different And I very much like this soundtrack for that reason.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about our overall impressions uh, later in the discussion to a greater extent. But I would say it's it's more elaborate than the prior two. Not that the the prior two, I would say, are bad. But they definitely had a richer mix or richer use of instruments in this third entry.
1: For sure.
0: All right. Well, if you've listened to these before, uh, you know what we do next. We've each picked out three songs. And we're going to go through them. Let's see. I picked out the Legendary Dogs theme or Riding on a Legendary Beast. Uh, Again, since there's no official soundtrack, these don't really have official titles, so you might have heard different names for these out there. I also picked the Crushed or Sinking Submarine theme and The Sky. So, Anne, what did you pick for
1: tracks? I picked Sky Event, Rasp Cavern, and Ah. societas theme.
0: I think it's pr- pronounced society. It's obviously a Societis. pun on society and T. Societ-
1: They'll make more tea. sense once we get there and we
0: describe <laughs> this group of folks um, and who they are. Now, I did kind of have to fudge the order a little bit. We try to go in loosely chronological order in the game, but just to keep it from being too many songs by one of us in a row, I did sort of rearrange them a little bit but we'll start off with sky event which you do hear a couple times in the game but one of those is right near the beginning and you want to kind of describe this one
1: yeah so this it's kind of got this real bass driving of a beat and then kind of soft piano and like some sort of malleted instrument like a marimba or something to kind of make it just sound very light and fluffy Partway through, there's like this more electric keyboard style riff to kind of give it some action, Um, but you just, you hear it and you get the visual of, of being flying or or having an adventure up in the clouds. It really, like many of these tracks, just evokes that mood of what it's, of what it's trying to do so well.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a, a major flying component to this game that was, well, it, 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 technically sort of existed, but it's, it's displayed very differently in this third game in the series. I know I that the instrumentation, very piano and guitar-based, and very playful flight. I, I think kind of one of the things I wanted to compare it to, to a certain extent, was uh, the movie, or I guess the movies now, Top Gun. Um, a little bit, although it's not quite as 80s, not quite as um, over-the-top, I guess, in certain places, but it does it's going to be going for a not completely dissimilar vibe there. Did you notice that, Anne?
1: Um, no, I, 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 well, I've never seen Top Gun, so there's that. You know, when I think of some of the other tracks on this list and like that 80s style of music and just kind of very grand, but yet also like very fitting. So, I, yeah, I think I can kind of see this. I, I'll i think more on that um, observation.
0: And let's go on to your second pick here. Uh, This is the Rasped Cavern. Now, we've had cavernous areas, I think, in in all of the the Ranger games, as well as a number of other Pokemon and other uh, video games. Uh, What's sort of the spin on this game's uh, cave theme?
1: Okay, so this just has a fun little array of synths that just give it this weird vibe. Like, not quite spooky, just weird and it also like it takes it makes use of space between instruments like it never feels too full or lush so it gives the feeling of emptiness without necessarily using silence all the way through it's um just enough instrumentation to almost feel like there is sound but it's in a cavernous place like uh it it's got kind of lo-fi vibes to it, like, as well. Like, I could see someone listening to this while they did their homework. Partway through the song, it, like, switches into its relative major, which is, like, basically the um, a different key, but, like, uses all the same notes. So now it sounds... Now it sounds more happy or positive before switching back into the relative minor, which sounds like a minor key, a little bit more ominous and spooky. So, like, I just found it very clever using a lot of good musical techniques to create a sense of just being alone in a large empty space.
0: Yeah, I noticed that uh, I guess it's a key change uh, in there as well myself that it suddenly goes happy for a few measures before looping back around there's also it makes heavy use of stereo panning and echo there's very little in the Mm -hmm. middle of of this mix and and a lot of the instruments echo on the other side quite distinctly so that definitely caught my attention uh what are thoughts do you have on this track
1: um yeah like again just that it was so very clever and deliberate and like it evoked the feeling of a cave but the way it did it was a bit different than some of the other cave music that we've had before but and then again just also that it was pleasant to listen to I, again i can see just having this on loop in the background as white noise so i just found all of that to be very interesting
0: yeah not sure i would have used this as a radio track on there maybe i did i'm pretty sure i did actually like record it back in the day for the station And I may well have used it on there, but I'm not sure I would call it the standout track. But it definitely, I mean, you can tell just by listening to it, it's a cave theme. Hmm. All right, well, let's go to the first of my picks. This is, again, because there's no official soundtrack, this is just some titles folks have put on them, but the legendary dogs theme or riding on a legendary beast. So basically what this is, at a certain point in the game, you get the privilege of summoning uh, the three legendary beasts, so that's uh Raikou, Suikun, Entei. You can summon them and you can ride on them across the map. Uh there's certain places you can't go, and then there are actually certain places they can go that you can't normally go as well. But it has this musical theme to it that I really enjoyed and it is one of probably the the best tracks at least I think in this game. Instrumentation-wise, it's a combination, I think, of guitar, horns, and maybe some strings. It's a little hard to tell sometimes with the uh, DS instrument set if it is exactly a a stringed instrument in there. And it has kind of an an off-to-adventure or off-to-the-rescue vibe. And does that line up with with your observations? Did you find something different?
1: Very much. Like, I agree. This is one of the best tracks. Like, just it's got this feel of like smooth jazz it's like cool is the first word that came to my mind on it like this is just a cool song um and also like there's something about the chords they use that sounds like not only jazzy but like like very enka like we've brought up enka on this show a few times it's kind of um a very traditional japanese style of music that was the precursor to pop um that kind of borrows some jazz elements it kind of borrows from their you know traditional opera singing a bit and it's very much almost like blue collar country is perceived over here like it's it's kind of old-fashioned and the music of the people in a way even though it's also very high high class these days as well but um yeah like it just had a very enka sound to it like i felt kind of closing my eyes and listening to it like I could almost hear an Enka-style singer singing over this track and, you know, like I felt like I was in like a kind of classical 50s or 60s Japanese kind of movie or something. So there's just, yeah, something very unique to this track that I think makes it stand out amongst the rest.
0: Yeah, there's actually a few tracks from this game that someone on YouTube, I forget their, their screen name, has gone in and tried to sort of upsample and create a, a more, you know, a, if you had better sound hardware than what the DS has. It wasn't terrible or anything, but it has its limits. Tried to get around those and, and sort of reorchestrate them and has done this song and I think a couple others from this game. Um, you mentioned the jazzy aspect. Yes, this is definitely not like the William Tell overture. <laughs> definitely from a more modern era that has a little more, maybe, style, more modern style, like, as in almost like fashion and stuff. Uh, It's it's a great, you know, little mechanic in the game. Obviously, ride Pokémon have technically been around a while, you know. In the the original games, you could surf and you can fly, and and surf definitely had its own music for it. And, uh, you know, ride Pokémon are still a thing, although... It's interesting. I did t- take a look back at some of the more recent examples of ride Pokemon, like in Legends Arceus and Scarlet and Violet both have ride Pokemon, but they don't actually change the music there. Actually, Scarlet and Violet do change the music in some places, just not everywhere. I don't know, Andy. do you have thoughts on, on, on those games versus this game or anything like that?
1: I mean... If you had told me, well, I mean, if you hadn't told me that this was a ride Pokemon theme, like, I don't think that that's the first image I'd conjure up and knowing, maybe it would have been, but like knowing that, like, again, I picture someone rolling up in like a very cool and languid sort of ride. So like, this is a choice for um ride music that is very unusual and very interesting and not something i would have expected and I like that for it
0: yeah so it is still interesting that they decided to use a an actual musical theme here but some of the more recent games i don't know if they don't want to break stuff up that way or, or what exactly that's about
1: maybe it's because you can get on and get off so easily where at some other games you had to like go through a whole thing to like summon the Pokemon and get on it
0: Yeah, so I don't know if there's a technical constraint there as well, but I did want to point that out as it seems interesting, to say the least. All right, well, let's go on to my second pick. This is the crushed or sinking submarine song. So basically at some point, somewhat earliest in the game, you end up on, like, the enemy submarine or whatever, and you have to go through it. And then when you get to, like, the Helm's Room, at that point the submarine, like, Either crashes or, or gets—I don't know exactly what happens—but basically, you're in this sort of escape sequence where you have to get out of the submarine within a certain amount of time. I, I do generally like this song, but what really kind of struck me about it—it's not like a like an escape sequence song you would hear in like a Metroid game or something like that, where you know the auto-destruct or whatever has been enabled and you have to get out as soon as possible before the whole thing goes kablooey, this is actually kind of a little bit more of a triumphant song. Did you notice that, Anne?
1: Yeah, I have in my notes that, like, it sounds serious and, you know, very staccato at the beginning and heavy, but not like you're in peril. It sounds like a rescue anthem. So, like, I can see a rescue mission in the sinking submarine almost more than I see, like, racing to get out with your life, which is interesting.
0: Well, you know, the more heroic nature, and I guess maybe that fits more with the ranger theme, where it's not just you you're trying to save, it's some of the other Pokémon on there you're trying to get out. It's uh, not completely dissimilar to, like, a cargo ship segment in Shadows of Almia in that regard, that you're trying to save as many passengers as you can. But uh, I did find that choice kind of interesting there. Now, one other element I wanted to mention... Apparently, it's not actually part of like the soundtrack, but it is something you'll hear if you're actually playing the game. There is a repeated like radar or, I guess, sonar ping that you hear while you're in the submarine, um, and it plays both before and during this segment. And um, to be honest, I kind of consider it part of this song, even though I guess technically it isn't. I don't know, Anne, did you get to this part in your playthrough so far? And if so, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I did. And that kind of adds in a bit of the, like I said, the the time limit and the peril that I was kind of missing just in listening to the track by itself. I don't know if I would consider it part of the song just because I really like this track. Like the brass instruments just give it a nice warmth to it. But I do think that that little pinging fits really well because there's a lot of repetition of motifs um, in this track, which also helped to build the tension. So I think it just kind of it, it slots right in there, and it fits. But I would say when I'm looking at the track by itself out of context, I'm, I'm okay with it not being there.
0: Yeah, it does seem like they did time that, that sound effect so that it, it kind of worked at least somewhat with the music for that area, though. I, it's hard to say exactly.
1: Mm. I'd agree with that.
0: Flying Without Wings is a well-written song, but its inclusion on the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack is a bit odd. There is plenty of flying in the movie, but most of it clearly involves wings. If you're willing to ignore that disparity, however, there are a number of lines that do match up well. We see several friendships, familiar and new, featured in the film. You can argue that characters like Professor Oak and Slowking lead reasonably solitary lives. For that matter, you could even say the same thing about Shmootie Island itself being fairly isolated from the rest of the world. If you're looking for the most Pokémon of the lyrics, though, those are probably in the bridge, as striving towards the seemingly impossible is a running theme of the franchise. Even after that, however, there is one more parallel to be drawn. Delia winds up coming face to face with Ash in a somewhat unexpected time and place, at least for him. While this final part of the song may have been originally intended as being between two lovers, I find that it still works for the mother-son reunion. Anyway, the next time someone tells you this song doesn't match up with the movie, I hope you have some different ideas to give them. Thanks. Alright, well let's go on to Anne's third pick. So there is, well there's the Pinchers, which are sort of the, the main evil group that you're fighting off for most of the game, but eventually you find out there's sort of this other group that is sort of... You know, sort of the, the masterminds behind all this, called, I guess, society. Society, it's like a portmanteau of society and tea, as in the beverage. And they have an, a couple of themes associated. And you picked, let's see, basically the society's theme or encounter society, you might hear it referred to. Uh, what, what sort of got your attention here?
1: Well, I love how it starts. Like it just feels like Final Boss music and it's got these clarion bells and um the rhythm is very catching and driving and and very percussive without an without like using overusing percussion instruments like just the downbeat and the notes are just so very rhythmic and deliberate that it really drives it forward and i like that a lot and it's also just a very it has a weight to it this track which when you think of um Something like society, like you think of something delicate and passive-aggressive. And this is very much in-your-face like drama.
0: Yeah, you you can kind of tell from the music that these folks mean business. Yes. Um, Just from listening to it. uh, I know it instrumentally has some powerful drums and horns. I'm not sure if these are the same samples they use there, but I wanted to kind of compare it to some of the more serious music in the Pokemon Stadium game. So not the one that sounds more like something you'd hear at like a ballpark or like a an actual sporting event, but something that sounds a little more sophisticated, I guess, is one way to put it. But it reminds me of that stuff from, especially Stadium 2. I don't know if that registered on you, Anne, but do you have any thoughts on it?
1: Um, It hadn't, but you know, I can see that fitting, yeah, really well. I don't know, there's like a richness to it that I feel like sets it apart, but like I would be interested to maybe splice this into Pokemon Stadium too and see um how it felt underneath the action there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there there are a couple other society uh tracks in the game. And one of them I could definitely like in my mind I was sort of you know pasting um Ted Lewis's announcer vocals from Pokemon <laughs> Stadium one slash two. On there, and it it's kind of worked in my head there, so that more or less was was what sort of registered for me. I don't know. I know that some of like the N64 samples were used like on the Game Boy Advance, and I think in DS games as well. And I'm not sure they're, they're the same, quite the same samples here, just because. Um, although you can get kind of N64 quality level music out of the DS, it's still not quite the same as what you get uh, between the two systems. Any other things you want to mention about this track, uh, or maybe even some of the related Society tracks?
1: Yeah, no, just just that they're again they're all very rich and full and in your face dramatic. Like um, I liked this one the best of all the Society ones, but all of them kind of just have that level of like final boss energy, even though we've still got a fair bit of game to go. All right, well, let's talk about
0: my third pick then. This is The Sky, uh, different from the Sky event track. This is the one, uh, I forget how far it is into the game because there's some stuff earlier where you have some alternative means of transportation. But eventually what you do is you get access to, actually just go around in the skies above the uh, the Oblivia region, which is where this game takes place. Um, and you can go around there and uh, you get this theme, which is not completely dissimilar from Sky Event, but this one is a little more, I don't know, it it uses bells as its main instrument rather than piano and guitar. And it has a very much an up and down uh, chromaticism quality. And did you notice some similar things there?
1: Yeah. So it's kind of fun because the melody itself is actually like this very slow piano. But as you say, you don't pick up on that. You pick up on kind of the counter melody, I guess, or, or like all the notes underneath that melody, which again are kind of like very bell-like and like lots of ups and downs and just lots of movement under this slow, sweet little tune so that even though the melody itself is slow, like the track has a lot of of drive to it. I find that again, just very clever, um, very good use of musical technique to kind of kind of give you the best of both worlds in a way of like having just a, a slow, soft, sweet, up in the clouds, airy feel, but also a fun adventure, lots of movement feel. It's very, very cool.
0: Yeah. One other thing I want to mention with the bells and, and the composition, though, is that um, some folks put some comments on one of the the videos for this song and mentioned that the, the upward progression... There's a, a noticeable resemblance for about four notes to the Forside theme in Earthbound for the Super Nintendo. Quite a different context there. Uh, Foresight is one of the larger cities in the uh, Earthbound game with some skyscrapers and stuff. So maybe a little bit of verticality there as well. Maybe a bit of a homage since the music director for this game, or the sound director, I should say, also worked on that N64 uh, Earthbound or Mother 3 game that got, you know, shelved and eventually we got the GBA game. But on the whole, the song is its own thing. So maybe that's just a little nod or just a common progression or something like that. But folks have noticed that. Um, I don't know, Anne, if you had any thoughts on that part of it.
1: Um, like, as you say, it's kind of a common progression, these like rising arpeggios and rising chords and things. But it also could have been a deliberate homage or even just kind of a subconscious if it's created by the same creator and they're doing something mildly similar for a couple notes and things to kind of squeak in because that'll it'll sound familiar and pleasing to the person who created it. So, yeah, like it could be many things, but it might not be all in our heads.
0: Yeah, you never, you never quite know with these things. All right, well, I think that brings us to sort of what do we think of this music overall? Now, before we give a full-on opinion, I'm sure some of the folks at home are screaming into their uh their uh, smartphone or computer or whatever that we have not yet mentioned one of the m- perhaps most important musical aspects of this game, Ukulele Pichu. <laughs> um this little Pichu that you meet early in the game that has a a, a ukulele on it. Um, and also, actually, assists you out in some of the uh, game parts by playing his ukulele to uh, sort of fill up the the gauge for some of the Pokemon in there. I kind of more or less described it there, but what have you thought of Ukulele Pichu as a character, Anne?
1: As a character, they are adorable. You instantly want them as your partner Pokemon. You're happy to go around with them, like because they're just they're cute and they've got a ukulele. And what more do you need, like? for your morale. Um, Yeah, I... No complaints.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when you summon Ukulele Pichu, it goes out on the screen and it plays as Ukulele, and like I said, it can, uh, like, stun Pokemon and play for uh, a few seconds or something (laughs) like that. So, um... It can be pretty useful, but it is the basically the solo partner you have for pretty much the entire game. But we definitely wanted to mention that and not leave it out. I, I actually kind of joked when the uh, Sun and Moon games came out, the item chime sounds like it's being played on a ukulele. So I thought, oh, good, Ukulele Pikachu is still getting some work. But I was going to um,
1: ask, did Ukulele Pikachu appear anywhere in Sun and Moon? Because <laughs> I, I don't remember.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. But uh, as far as kind of our general opinion of the music. I think, you know, not that the music in Pokemon Ranger and Shadows of Almia was bad by any means. They had some legit good tunes in there, but they definitely went for a more uh rich instrumentation here, and bringing on those new folks definitely brought in some new influences. I, I definitely, I even kind of felt in places like there was some influence from like the Mystery Dungeon games, even though none of these folks are involved on any of those but I felt like they must have listened to some of that and been at least slightly inspired in a way I can't really put into words, but generally I think this has some of the, the best music in this sub series. I don't know. And what was your sort of overall opinion of the music of this, both in general and relative to the Ranger games?
1: Right. So like in general, I really like it. Like again, there's just a lot of care and attention and use of musical theory as a language that I'm really kind of a fan of, a lot of subtlety going on, but compared to other Ranger games, I think this is the one I've enjoyed the most, and it, it's also kind of fresh in a way, like when you bring in, say, a new writer onto a series or something, like it's not like the previous writers were not doing up to snuff. It's just that a different person brings a different perspective and different sensibilities. And there is something slightly different about this soundtrack that still seems to fit within uh, the Ranger franchise, but sounds, again, just a little bit different, a little bit new and unique. And that is kind of what attracts me to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of the Ranger stuff is still there, like the... And also the saving theme is more or less the same, but definitely some good variety while still staying, I think, within the Ranger framework that was established. But uh, yeah, if I had to pick up my favorite soundtrack of the three games, this would probably be it.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. All right, well, that's our music discussion. We still have a few other things to go over. Uh, notably, we have some feedback from prior videos and other stuff that I want to go through. So let me go ahead and punch that up.
1: Um, and definitely, uh, if you want to get featured in this next segment, you know where the comment section is.
0: Yeah, yeah. And speaking of feedback, of course, if you have comments on this or anything else, uh, you can always drop a comment on one of our videos. You can also drop us an email, pokepress at gmail.com, Or you can look for us on Twitter at pokepress. All right, so our first comment, uh, this is on Michael Hegney discusses localizing early seasons of Pokemon. This is an interview I did a few months ago with Michael Hegney, localizer slash adapter for the early seasons of the Pokemon anime. Um, interestingly, he has started his own podcast called Original Pokeban, where he goes episode by episode through his decisions and tries to figure out which ones he uh, thinks are good still and which ones are not. But in any case, I got a comment on this video from someone by the name of uh, Gordy. He says, uh, these are really good interviews. Well, thank you. Um, Perhaps you could convince Norman J. Grossfeld to sit down for an interview. So if for some reason, you're, you're not familiar. Norman was, uh, I forget what his exact job title was at four kids, but he was in charge of the Pokemon anime in some capacity and made a lot of uh, decisions on it as well. Now, I, I have tried to, I guess you could say, bark up that tree. Uh, I think it was John Stiegler tried to get in touch with him. Um, and I point out in this comment, one of my interviewees tried a ways back, but Norman declined. And Gory replied back, uh, I figured he must turn everyone down, but he's probably still working in the industry. I'm not entirely sure on that one, to be honest. I have tried looking up like his, his, his Wikipedia and stuff. I don't think I've seen much of anything from him since Four Kids Folded in like the late 2000s, early 2010s, or whatever it was. So I actually have not seen a ton of stuff, much of anything from him. I don't know. Anne, have you heard if he's working on anything at the moment? or?
1: No, I, I can't say that I have. And it's kind of, I don't know, like, It's such a weird industry, like, and if people, like, decide, say, they want to spend a few years doing something else unrelated to entertainment, it's like they drop off the face of the earth. So it's like, who knows? I I hope everything's going well in his life. But, yeah, like, I haven't heard him, you know, involved in anything in entertainment. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's not working. It just means no one's talking about it, I guess.
0: And yeah, so not sure what the deal on that end is, but yes, I someone has tried on my behalf to get an interview with him and Norman declined. So just so you know about that one. All right. Well, um so a couple weeks or a week or two before we recorded this, so we got some sad news that um Aaron Carter uh passed away. He he's had a number of personal issues throughout his life. And so it, to be honest, while well, I'm still saddened by it, it's not a complete surprise, but I decided sort of in the aftermath of that that I would put up a little tribute video where I took a bunch of stuff uh, I had done really within the last year or so talking about his song from the Pokemon The First Movie Soundtrack Have Some Fun With The Funk and um, sort of string those together and we did get some comments on that. So let's see. DDDO3 you said this is truly a beautiful tribute. I honestly didn't follow music when I was that young except Pokemon so this is the only song that I am familiar with of his. Uh, but he didn't want to minimize Aaron's contribution. Uh, thanks for the good vibes. Yeah, so so just so you, want to know. I, I'm familiar with a little bit of Aaron's other work. Um, I I do search iTunes and other stuff periodically to see if that song from the first movie soundtrack has finally made it on there. So far, it hasn't. Although uh, whatever label he was working with when he passed uh, was uploaded his album that was supposed to come out like. Uh, on his next birthday early. But uh, nothing for this song as of yet. I don't know, Anne, I mean, obviously a lot of pop music is marketed at women, which, you know, I don't expect you to stand for all women or anything like that, so I hope that doesn't come off wrong there. But I was just curious what your familiarity with Aaron Carter's work is.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I was more of the age to know of Aaron Carter but be like... Fixated on like his brother, older brother Nick Carter of the backstreet boys like i was I was the target audience for pining after the older men, as they might say, um, and Aaron was like young and fun, and i I remember like he wasn't necessarily like the one that I was gunning for. I wasn't the hugest fan, but like his music was still, like, a part of my life. And the ones I remember the most were Aaron's party, have some fun with the funk, that very early stuff that was kind of just my young, you know, 12, 13-year-old having fun with my friend Aaron kind of vibe while I, you know, secretly was trying to catch the attention of his older brother. Like, that was the vibe in my teenage life with him and his music was that he was my peer, he was my buddy. And again, his music at that time was all very fun and very inviting and very engaging. Um, I'm not as familiar with some of the stuff he's done later in his life. But like when I think of Aaron Carter and like his impact on pop culture, like he was the cool kid in class that was your friend and like just kind of brought everyone together. That's kind of the effect his music had on, on me at least. Yeah, and
0: I figure, like, I know with the the Pokemon the first movie soundtrack, they're trying to get, like, as many popular boy bands as they could, roughly speaking. <laughs> and obviously, Aaron was on, you know, he was a solo act, but it was sort of on the, age-wise, on the lower end of that spectrum. Um, and then you had, obviously, folks like NSYNC and 98 Degrees, and I guess at the very top, not, you know, trying to insult them or anything, you have, you know, Blessing Your Souls, which is more of a young adult crowd, uh, type of thing on there but they tried to sort of fill in all those different things there and Aaron was definitely a part of that let's see do have another comment on this one this is from Dwayne Simmons he says uh, let's see the dub soundtrack is so amazing so it's a little comment there uh, I sort of replied they managed to collect a pretty good selection of songs despite most of them not being written for the film so yeah, Aaron, Aaron's song wasn't written for the film. It was recorded a year or two prior it, um, and stuff like that. It was like late 98 or very early 99 or something like that. I, I talked with Paul Umbach, the, um, one of the engineers and, and producers and stuff on that song. Um, and He, he uh, let us know some, some background details on it. It was one of the first things that Paul had worked on at uh, Jive Records. Um, I have to say the sort of legacy of the Pokemon, the first movie soundtrack, it, it's a really good party album in that regard. It has some some really great party songs like like Have Some Fun with the Funk and Get Happy and, and Soda Pop, which may not technically have a ton to do with the plot of the movie. I usually sort of associate them with the short, but have that sort of right vibe for it. I don't know. And did you want to kind of elaborate or, or give your own thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked a bit on this show like several times about like how it's kind of amazing really how well some of these songs fit despite not being written for it but um since we just came off of like the subject of boy bands like i kind of want to liken it to kind of the discourse that probably came a lot in our generation about like our generation put people down for not fitting a particular image like oh the boy bands don't write their own songs that may they're not as talented or, you know, this singer-songwriter writes their own song, therefore they're, quote, better. And, like, my argument against that has always been, like, when you write a song, you can sing it really well, but, like, there's a beautiful magic when someone else comes in and sings those same words and brings their different perspective and their different talent to it and creates something new. And I feel like the soundtrack of the Pokemon movie – has a lot of that going on where it's like they could have created a a track of songs written specifically for that movie about that movie and maybe it would have been great but there's this beautiful magic of people combing through songs that already existed being like this fits so well like this only needs one little lyric tweak and suddenly you've unlocked this new metaphor of the movie and like brought this new theme to life and i think that's something very special
0: it's an interesting take. Uh, like, like I said, I just, tend, I just tend to throw the the party songs and, you know, not under the bus. I'd say, oh, they're just for the short, which is very lighthearted for the most part and stuff like that. And they, they fit in better there. You know, once you get to New Island and stuff, it'd be kind of weird if, if, if Mewtwo's uh, Palace or whatever there had Muzak. So that would be... But, um, <laughs> But, uh, no, I, I appreciate, like, Aaron's song, you know, even if it doesn't fit, it's still a very well-produced and performed song, and that's one of the reasons I like it on there. And that's something I, I can say for a lot of the other ones on there.
1: hmm For real.
0: All right. Well, rest in peace, Aaron. We will miss you. And I, I guess I, I have to reiterate one of the lines in that's in Have Some Fun With The Funk is, this party is too short. And, indeed, it was, but you left behind quite a body of work and quite an impression All right. Well, like I said, on a lighter note, our next discussion, we go in uh, North American release order. So our next side game, whose music we're going to discuss, is Poké Park Wii, Pikachu's Adventure. So this is uh, obviously, as the name implies, a Wii game. It was um, a a disc-based game this time around, where basically you go to, like like the actual gameplay is you go around what is a Pokémon theme park, and you have to complete various tasks to sort of solve some some issue that comes around at the end. and did you play this back in the day?:
1: I did not. Like this is one where I have I don't even have a memory of watching a friend play it or like testing it at a con. So I don't know what happened to this game. <laughs> no one in my life has seems to have played it. Well, I
0: think I remember the sequel, which is a Gen 5 game, a little bit better than this one. But we'll we'll definitely find some music, and which was worked on, actually, by some of the same people who did uh, Guardian Sign. So you'll be hearing from them again. All right. But un- until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate it if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at PokePress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to PokePress at Gmail.com or follow at PokePress on Twitter. Okay, well now it's time to talk about Pokeon Ranger Guardian Signs from a gameplay perspective. So not as drastic a change, as we saw with um, going from the original Ranger to Shadows of Almia. A lot of the changes from that transition do carry over here. You're still doing it where the circles sort of deplete a, I guess you could call it a health bar or a friendship bar or whatever, and your goal is to sort of calm down the Pokémon like that rather than the original Ranger where you just had to make a certain number of circles in a row and that was it. Um, there are a few other tweaks we mentioned about the sky area, which is sort of new to this one. Speaking of the sky area, from a from an aesthetics perspective, it actually kind of reminds me a lot of Super Nintendo games. Uh, could make use of this mode called Mode Seven, which was this graphical mode that lets you take like a background and rotate it around. It's sort of the driving force behind certain games like uh, Pilot Wings, F Zero, Super Mario Kart. It's also used in a number of other games on the system. I don't know, Anne, I, I did try to have you look up that a little bit. Did you get a chance to explore what Mode 7 is?
1: I, I was able to look at it a little bit. I, I mean, I can't say I fully understand it yet, but I, I do have a bit of a frame of reference for what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some stuff in this game that you could not do in, in Super Nintendo <laughs> Mode 7, at least without some further enhancements um, or some very clever programming, perhaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the flying segments of this game, the way the sort of angle shifts a little bit, it's not quite the same as say like a polygonal DS game. It's still feels very sprite based. Um, I assume that at least you notice that, Anne. Yeah, like, said, not to put you down or anything.
1: But, no, uh, no, you're you're not. As, again, like I say, I can see the difference. I don't know if I like have enough game knowledge to fully explain it though. But like, yes, I understand what you're saying. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, that that really got my attention when I played this game and gives me a little bit of nostalgia for it. So that's one of the sort of Aww. the big differences is because the game takes place on a series of islands that are disconnected from each other for the most part. Eventually, you do get that thing where you can sort of fly around above everything. Um, and you can actually catch some Pokemon up there, which you need to do for some tasks and stuff like that. Now, it is called uh, Guardian Sign. We should talk about the signing aspect you know, you can use that in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's to open doors. Other times it's actually you summon Pokemon, like the Ride Pokemon, or eventually you get access to Latios or Latias, depending on the the gender of your player character. Uh, how did you feel that worked?
1: Um, like it was kind of interesting, and it honestly felt like the next logical step. Like I, it's hard to say, like because I was never good with if you remember the f- stylus to begin with. Um, so I can't speak for how everybody felt at like the difficulty of gameplay but like I really felt that that was a natural progression to like move from just drawing circles to start drawing other shapes and like it kind of made me feel like a wizard Um, like I liked that I would have liked to see this game franchise continue and maybe do more with it it would be really uh, probably hard and fun to like say see a future game where they did something like that with the Wii mote. But, yeah, like, to me it felt like the obvious choice to start drawing other shapes. And I kind of liked that it wasn't something you did all the time. But, like, again, for something special, like summoning one of the special Pokemon or something, you would have to draw a particular shape for it. And that was very cool.
0: It's interesting because you look at, like, some early DS games. Like, um, to be honest, there's a not completely dissimilar mechanic in Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow, which was a relatively early DS game. The catch with that, though, is that the rest of the game did not really use the touchscreen very much. So the way they worked it is that to open certain doors and actually to defeat certain bosses in that game, you would have to draw a sign not completely dissimilar to what's in this game to actually defeat the boss for real, otherwise they would gain back some of their health and stuff like that which people really didn't like and, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in what was otherwise a very much a platform-focused combat game. Um, in this case, you're already starting from a heavily stylus-dependent game anyway, so adding the signs on top of that, not nearly as bad. I don't know if you've gotten to the point where you can actually charge up when you're making a sign on there, and in some cases that gives you... Excuse me, stuff like uh, faster flight for the flying Pokemon and some other things. Have you had a chance to, to get mm-hmm. that far?
1: I haven't, but I do know that's coming. So I I, I know it's going to make my life easier here in a bit. But no, I haven't actually gotten the charge yet.
0: Yeah, so that's, that's another thing out there. All right, well, let's talk about this game aesthetically. We talked a lot about the music being more, um, I don't know if verbose, but more advanced, more detailed, perhaps, compositionally than some of the ones. But I think the graphics also got a step up just a, kind of across the board in terms of the environments and stuff look like they have more unique angles, I guess, and more they feel more organic. Did you notice
1: that? Um, like, I don't necessarily about more organic, but like, they're very clear. Like, I don't know, like, it is almost like more detailed, I guess, like more crisp, Um, It it definitely feels like they stepped up a little bit and, again, just had visuals that were slightly more um, smooth and arresting. And, yeah, it's kind of again, kind of like the music where it's like it's still within the Ranger world, but it's just uh, that little bit different, that little bit maybe improved, um, slightly different perspective sometimes that sticks out to you in a way. It
0: kind of reminds me of the way the graphics sort of progressed on, say, the NES from the very early games to sort of the later games where they did a little better sprite work and stuff. And this one, although the graphics are well above NES level, kind of makes me feel like that as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like very much in the same style, but like just every game gets a a little crisper, a little bit more like characterization, you can tell the characters apart a little easier. Yeah.
0: And and going back to mechanics, there are like one or two other things that are new. I think one of the notable ones is that there is um, sort of, I don't know if it's an aggression mechanic, but basically some Pokemon will either during a phase, like all the bosses go through a phase in the boss fight pretty much, or certain Pokemon that are like aggravated on the map there, where they'll have a red bar for their friendship meter or whatever it is. And to get through that, it it takes more effort because your, your styler doesn't convey as much information. You have to use your assists more like your, your poke assists in like the, the capture sessions actually work a little bit differently in this one too. I know that was kind of a bit of a jumble, but do you have any thoughts to add uh, in there, Anne?
1: Um, yeah, like as You know, the anime uh, fan here, like, I do like when the games can kind of reflect things that come from the anime, like, again, Pokemon having personalities and things. So the concept that, like, some Pokemon are more aggressive or some of them, like, are going to be harder to capture because they're upset and your Pokemon has to come and kind of, like, talk them down a bit like I like it when the game can kind of reflect in its mathematical code and like that that emotional aspect of it I guess I I do think it sometimes makes it a little harder to play cuz I get this game but um I do like the idea behind it
0: yeah, so beyond that I, I have to say there's not a ton of changes those are some decent ones I mean I wouldn't expect it to chain things up as much as going from from the original Ranger to Shadows of Almia because that kind of needed an overhaul but this one doesn't go quite as far did, did you kind of want them to see them do more or were you kind of happy with this
1: um on the one hand like you kind of always want to see the sequel game like go above and beyond and like jump up a level and like do things that surprise you but at the same time you also want what's familiar so it's hard to say I do think I prefer this game. Um, and I I love running around with Pichu and I, I think there's a lot that, you know, if I had to only pick one of the three, this would be the one. And knowing like what a huge jump they did make from the first Ranger game to the second, like there is that little bit sense of like, oh, like could they have could they have gone further? Like, I'm not dissatisfied, necessarily. I, I think it was a good sequel, it, like, very fun. But I definitely can see that, like, not necessarily that they could have done more, but, like, I would have liked to see them get bigger and bolder and, um I don't know, try new things like they did from the first to the second and, like, just keep getting better, I guess.
0: But, uh, yeah, as far as, like, the best ranger game. I think mechanically Guardian Signs is probably the best, although I think Shadows of Almia has a better story and, and perhaps cast of characters. I think uh, the all-true the ink saga there is a little more interesting than a bunch of uh, thieves coming out of retirement, as we have in this game. Now, I guess there's a couple other options they could have gone with this one. Uh, this is still a Gen 4 game. They could technically have, have pushed it back a year or two, And uh, made it a Gen 5 game, but then, you know, if if it comes out in the DS, it's really late in there. And then if it's 3DS, they have to redo the whole thing, kind of. Either way, this is still the last Pokémon Ranger game. And part of that may be the sales, because uh, those went down with each installment. There was a, a fairly big drop between... Shadows of Almia and Guardian Signs. I'm not sure if that was just, you know, like I kind of recommend folks do not play those last two games back-to-back because I think you'll enjoy it more if you split them up by at least uh, a few months or in real life they were separated by a few years. But we haven't seen anything after this, uh, Ranger-wise. I mean, I think there's still a trainer class in the games and stuff, but I don't know. And jumble of thoughts there but uh you know we haven't seen anything else from this uh, any ideas
1: there um it's it's hard to say like anytime there's a drop in sales especially if like say over a series of 3 a progressive drop in sales you can see why a company might toss an idea and put their focus somewhere else and that's unfortunate because like I do feel like quality a lot was moving upwards was trending upwards with this series like you know I played the first ranger game or part of it at least and like didn't much pay any attention to the rest of the series until we started doing this podcast and now I'm kind of a fan and like I'm really enjoying this this game that I'm so bad at but like enough that I would be interested in another Ranger game after this, so it's a little bit sad. But at the same time,s unfortunately, video game companies do have to make money, and I I don't know why it wouldn't. Uh, like again, I feel like the quality was constantly going up. Um, as for pushing it back or or, or whatever, um, I don't know what like if that would have helped it or not. Or you know, moving it to the 3ds like might have been tricky. But then again, as someone who always comes to the console late, like to have a an n not an n sixty four a ds game in the era of a 3ds would have been music to my ears to be able to play a game, <laughs> a brand new Pokemon game when I didn't yet have a 3ds. Would have been great. So I don't know. There's a lot of moving factors, and we may never know the ins and outs of this story. But it is a little sad that we still haven't gotten any Ranger content.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, they didn't promote this one as heavily. Certainly, they didn't have a movie out for this mm. one. I think there was a <laughs> thing in the anime for it and and stuff. So there was some promotion for it. But I, I think... You, know, you talk about the 3DS, it did have a touchscreen, partially for backwards compatibility, but there certainly was not as much use of it uh, there. Now, the Switch has a capacitive touchscreen, so if they want to make, say, a handheld-only game, which does exist, it's used, I think, for rhythm games a fair bit uh, on the Switch for handheld-only games, um, they technically could, or... As I mentioned earlier, if there's ever a, a DS uh, Nintendo Switch online feature like we have for some other systems, they could put at least these games on there. I don't know.
1: Use your controller like a stylus in the same way we used a Wiimote even. Like, they could do this if they really, really, really wanted it.
0: They could. And like I said, Rangers are still around at least in in some of the recent games So. We'll kind of see there. Like I said, I don't know if they'll revisit this at some point. I mean, it only took, what, 20-some years for Pokemon Snap to get a sequel? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, You know? um, I think it'll be a little while before we see another one of those, but uh, I wouldn't rule that out either.
1: You you truly never know.
0: So yeah, certainly not a bad game in any sense, and quite possibly the best of its uh, sub-series, but... I guess it it just wasn't successful enough for them to decide they wanted to do more with it in the future. At least – well, Twitter is going through some stuff as uh, (laughs) we back when we recorded this due to some uh, new ownership. Oh, my gosh. Uh, But uh, hopefully that's still around by the time this gets out on the feed.